Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. We're getting a big response from our last two episodes on the Cates family homicide in New Hampshire. And I knew we would. I was kind of putting that case off. It's just a hard one to get through. But we seem to be working our way through all of New England states. And we're going to continue with that today. So thus far, we've done maybe 50 or 60 in Massachusetts. We've covered the case in Maine of Ayla Reynolds, who's still missing. And in New Hampshire, we covered Pamela Smart in the last two episodes on the Kimberly Cates homicide. And we've also gotten a lot of emails on the Cates family homicide. And man, it's just a difficult one. But Jamie is doing much better. And her dad, and they still live in the community. They have a big dog now. And Jamie's a beautiful young woman. And they didn't let this derail their lives. And one of the things that I liked about Jamie, she's kind of a badass. She didn't go to any of the trials for those five losers that entered her home or the four losers who entered her home anyway, but she did go to one day of court and that was to see Christopher Gribble let out in handcuffs. And I'm sure the corrections officer and the cops gave her a good look at that mug. Way to go, Jamie. I received one email from New Hampshire stating that they can't believe After that tragedy, the Cates family has raised to date more than $250,000 for charity. This email went on to say that even during this tragedy, the Cates family have outperformed those losers in acts of love. You know what I mean? That's the difference here. That's what you can take away from that case, I think. So I guess that simply leaves the Green Mountain State and... If you remember, guys, a few weeks ago, I asked you to produce some cases from Vermont. And resoundingly, I got the suggestion to handle the Brianna Maitland case. And Brianna went missing in March of 2004. She's still missing to this day. And this is an absolute whodunit. She really disappeared into the ether. But if you look at her recent history, there were some problems in Brianna's life. And she was trying to navigate them. And much like I stated during the Ayla Reynolds episode for Maine, life in Vermont can be hard. And especially the further north you go, it's very remote. And it's very community-based and focused. But for teenagers, I think life is difficult. And even for adults, there's not a lot of work in those parts especially in northern Vermont, where it's focused largely on tourism and skiing and all that. And it is an absolutely beautiful, idyllic setting. The mountains, the snow, 
I'm done with snow. I've been in New England my whole life, but some people like snow. So let me tell you a little bit about the Maitland family. I think they're kind of the template for the Vermont family. They're not afraid of hard work. They're not afraid of isolation, doing things on their own, living in a remote area. I think the ruggedness of the terrain makes the residents kind of tough, and I think that was the Maitland family. They actually lived in East Falmouth, Vermont, which from my calculations appears to be about 15 or 20 minutes from the Canadian border on the Quebec side. East Franklin is about as remote as you can get. And at that time, the Maitlands had a farm up there. I believe the mom, Kelly, and dad, Bruce Maitland, worked on the farm, but they worked other jobs in the area. That's what seems to happen in these kind of remote communities where everybody has several jobs. But I think the farm at that point was their main focus. And Brianna Maitland came along in 1986. So I think I mentioned at the beginning, the farm, Brianna's farm was what appears to be about 15 to 20 minutes from the Canadian border. And all was well in her youth. She studied jujitsu quite a bit. And I think she was pretty highly trained in that during her younger years and all the way up through, I don't know, eighth grade, ninth grade. She went to local public schools and eventually matriculated into, I know I'm going to butcher this name, but here goes, Miss Sequoia Valley High School. I think I got that right. Miss Sequoia Valley High, and I believe that was in the Franklin area. And she went to that high school until sophomore year, and she transferred down to Enosburg Falls High School, which was further south, I don't know, 20 or 30 miles south from where she grew up. And I believe this Enosburg Valley High was closer to Montgomery, Vermont. And that's where a lot of this would take place. And Brianna Maitland would end up staying with a friend in Montgomery, Vermont. And I got to tell you guys, that's still very remote. That's probably over six hours from New York City. Again, always closer to Canada, I think, than you are the United States in there. And Northern Vermont does take on some dimensions of Canada, some cultural habits and all that. And it's just an incredibly remote area. And I believe Brianna Maitland, during her earlier high school years, started to become restless. That's at least according to her mother, Kelly. There were really no stresses at home. It seemed to be a typical Vermont household. They had the farm. And I think mom and dad worked whatever other jobs they could get. And things were fine. They had enough to eat. And I don't know if it was a middle-class life, but it was a pretty good life in terms of the Vermont economic situation. I think Brianna wanted a little more stimulation from her life than she could get in East Franklin, Vermont. So she did come south. And some strange things did occur. Some things within the family kind of give me some type of pause. Only because I wouldn't do them, I haven't done them. People in my family or social circle haven't done them. And what I'm referring to right now is Brianna moved out of her house when she moved to high schools to Enosburg High School. And she stayed with friends. She was actually couch surfing for a while. And then actually ended up dropping out of school. So it's quite concerning as a father of three... I'd fight tooth and nail for my kid to stay in high school. 
But again, things are different in Vermont. They see things somewhat differently. They're kind of independent. And Brianna wasn't really lost, you know. She didn't seem to be on drugs, but that would be illuminated later that she did have that side to her. And there are a lot of drugs in Vermont. A lot of people don't know that. There's a lot of drug abuse, a lot of alcohol abuse from the early teenage years all the way through. So I get the fact that Brianna really didn't want to spend her high school years on a farm, but she was moving from house to house. And man, that doesn't sit well with me. She's a young lady. She would have been 16 or 17 at the time. She ends up staying with somebody, a good friend of hers, and settles in a little bit. But her dropping out of high school, that's huge for me. And like I said, it would come out later that she was, in fact, using drugs and pretty heavy drugs for that age group. So I've seen Brianna's mom, Kelly, say in various forms and formats that there were really no stresses at home. But man, this kid just didn't want to be home. I get it. You're coming into adulthood, you're kind of restless, right? But damn, to have your daughter floating from house to house, it makes me wonder if there was something else wrong, but I think other investigators and other podcasts have felt the same way, and it just doesn't seem to be any evidence of other stressors in her life. She was kind of a happy-go-lucky kid, again, in that Vermont spirit. They're willing to work. They may not be the best jobs, but they're going to work them. And they'll work two jobs if they have to. And I think that's what you had here with Brianna Maitland. So one of the other things that give me pause is Brianna is a beautiful girl. Dark hair, freckles on her nose, extremely popular. And all this couch surfing, I mean, she could fall into the wrong crowd. And I'm afraid that's what happened. And all of this couch surfing and moving around kind of hampered the investigation into her initial disappearance and probably put the police and Bruce Maitland behind the eight ball to the tune of about four or five days. There was a lot of lost time. But let me take you up to near the time of the disappearance in 2004. So as I mentioned, Brianna had been couch surfing, but pretty soon she settled in, but she did drop out of school. That's a big question mark for me. But she ended up moving in with a friend of hers by the name of Jillian Stout near Montgomery. I think Montgomery's kind of the hub here. And she was in the area. She had a ton of friends. But three weeks before she disappeared, something strange happened to Brianna Maitland. She was at a party, and I think there was other high school kids there and maybe a little bit older. But she ended up getting into a fist fight with a woman by the name of Keely Lacrosse of a similar age. And they got into a battle over a boy. Keely believed that Brianna Maitland was flirting with her boyfriend. You know how the high school BS goes. You're flirting with my guy, whatever. They're 17 years old, but regardless, there was copious amounts of alcohol at this house party. And don't forget, this is rural Vermont. Cops aren't going to stop by. You have to know what's going on before you get there. You're not going to see anything from the road. So the party's going on, and these two get into it. And Keely Lacrosse lays a beating on Brianna Maitland. And everybody's kind of surprised because everybody knows Brianna is thoroughly trained in jujitsu, right? But she ends up taking a beating from this girl. Two black eyes, broken nose, maybe a broken jaw. 
her face is just totally tuned up. And by all accounts, Brianna didn't fight back, not one ounce, you know. And she said later that she just didn't want to fight her friend, and these two were friends. So there was this whole teenage boyfriend-girlfriend drama happening to Brianna around the time she disappeared. She ended up disappearing on March 19th, 2004. At the time, she was living with her friend, Jillian Stout. So by this time, Brianna had fully dropped out of school, but she was taking a GED examination the day she disappeared. That was Friday, March 19th, 2004. So on that morning, I believe that Brianna had taken this GED examination and got her scores back on the spot and it was revealed that she, in fact, had passed. So Kelly and Brianna went out to lunch to celebrate a little bit, and I think Kelly was trying to get her life's plans going. But Brianna was always talking about learning. She was a lifelong, avid reader, and she had planned on going to college. She got a little off track there, but I think she was smart enough to get into a local college and do very well. So things were kind of looking up for her. They were celebrating this one step forward anyway. So they're shopping, and it's said that something catches Brianna's eye outside. She tells her mother she's going to step outside for a minute, and Mrs. Maitland, Kelly Maitland, doesn't know who she sees, what she sees, but it's believed at that point she has conversation with an individual just outside this store. And... By the time mom checks out and meets Brianna in the parking area, she can tell Brianna's very shaken up. Something's absolutely wrong. But Brianna was kind of a private person. She's a teenager. Mom doesn't want to pry. She'll make another approach later, if possible. I think you know that parenting technique if you have teenagers, right? But she had to go to work. Brianna had to go to work about 3.30 for a 4 p.m. shift. So she was working at the Black Lantern. I think this place was kind of a landmark in the area, and Brianna had hooked on as a dishwasher, kind of doing whatever needed to be done. But she was working at the Black Lantern Inn, and she also had another job at another restaurant or hotel, similar type setup. But Kelly dropped Brianna off at Stout's residence, her friend Jill Stout, whom she was staying with, because Brianna said she had to get to work. We do know that Brianna went to work at the Black Lantern. Everything seemed fine during her shift. She was her usual vivacious self. Nobody could sense anything wrong. So Brianna works through her shift at the Black Lantern, and her shift ended at about 11.20, 11.25. And she is believed, and by all accounts, from the other workers of the Black Lantern, she left the Black Lantern parking area by herself driving her own vehicle. She had a pretty famous vehicle in the area. It was this big old Delta 88 four-door. It was in crappy condition, and she kept it a big mess. It was kind of like a neighborhood joke, her vehicle, right? But she leaves work at the Black Lantern. And that is the last time Brianna Maitland is seen alive. I'm going to tell you about what happens next, but man, poof, right into the ether.
This was a freezing night in Vermont. In fact, a lime from the Black Lantern was actually found frozen onto her car. It was March, but man, it was cold that night. And man, it's just a complete whodunit. Let me tell you what happens next. So early the next day, that would be Saturday, March 20th, 2004, a Vermont State Police trooper was dispatched in the early afternoon to a place called the Old Dutchburn House. It was kind of a landmark in the area, and people would use it as like giving directions. Okay, you're going to go by the Old Dutchburn House, which it was was like a dilapidated old farmhouse that was set back off the road. And it had been vacant for many years, but everybody knew it for whatever reason. Like I said, people would give directions by it. The Dutch burn house will be on your right. It'll be on your left five minutes from there. But after Brianna Maitland left work, the Black Lantern, this Dutch burn house is described as being about one mile or 1.5 miles away from the inn that she was working in, the Black Lantern. So she appears to have went right there, and it is a meeting spot for teenagers, young adults. It's just one of those local places where everybody goes and hangs out, meet me at the old Dutch burn house, that type of deal. But the trooper gets there in the early afternoon, and the car is backed into the old Dutch burn house, and I believe at least the driver's side door was open, and It was kind of strange because it had appeared the car had backed into this barn. It's kind of like a barn-like house structure. But when whomever backed the vehicle up, it kind of got jacked up on the foundation of the building. And the tires weren't touching the ground, so it would have been fruitless to try to get out of there. And so what the trooper thought, and this was a big mistake, things go sideways at this point. And it's lousy police work, I'm going to tell you. So the trooper thought that this was just a kid trying to avoid an OUI arrest, abandon the car because he's drunk. Cops show up, he's drunk, your car's been in an accident. You're getting lugged to the clink. But if you're not there, you're not drunk, you dig? So that's what the trooper assumed happened. But it was kind of a strange setup. And this assumption placed the investigation back many days, many hours anyway. So it was lousy police work. So the trooper gets there and he thinks, again, it's a drunk, somebody trying to avoid a DUI. He's seen it before, I'm sure. But Brianna's things are there. They're present. And what's there is things that she would always take with her. She had migraines and she had migraine medicine in the car. In the car, there was two paychecks. That kid needed that money, right? She's going to leave two paychecks. And then around the car, there's a female's fleece sweatshirt, which would end up not belonging to Brianna. Some other trinkets change. It looks like there's a struggle over this car. And the door was open and all this. And it's bothersome. The trooper didn't even run the license plate because I believe the vehicle was registered to Kelly Maitland, and they didn't even attempt to contact her. I mean, you could at least done 411 or to see if, you know, the Vermont State Police had Kelly in her files. I mean, this could have been anything. It could have been a rape, murder, anything. And this guy just assumes that it's a drunk who, it just seems like this trooper didn't want to do anything. 
right? I think we all know people like that. I'll, I'll book the accident and get out of here and go do nothing. I think that's what happened here. In a lot of these small towns, the state police, the Vermont State Police are the only law enforcement agency in town. Some larger cities and towns, like Burlington, naturally, the capital would have their own police force. But in these remote areas, the state police really did everything. And I just don't know what happened with this. This guy has the car towed. The tow company brings it to a local garage. But man, that's it. I think they run the tag, but they don't attempt to contact the owner. And this would come back to haunt them. Also, what would come back to haunt the Maitland family was Brianna's transient lifestyle. She didn't return home to Jillian Stout's house that night. She had worked the next morning at her other job, but she was due to leave the Black Lantern and head back home to her roommate, Jill Stout. But when Jill didn't hear from her, she just thought that she went back to live with her parents further up north. Similarly, when Brianna Maitland's mother doesn't hear from her, she assumes that she's at Jill's house and she went to her job the next day. All of that was wrong. And Kelly Maitland didn't learn of Brianna's disappearance till five days later. And Jill Stout saw Brianna Maitland's note on Friday the 19th. Then she spent the weekend away. And so all this time is elapsed, almost a week now, right? So when Kelly Maitland hadn't heard from Brianna by that Tuesday, she starts calling around. And eventually she gets with Jillian Stout, who says, I haven't seen her either. And now everybody just loses it. And everybody starts calling employers and all that. But at a certain point, they have to call the Vermont State Police. So Bruce Maitland and Kelly make a missing persons report to the Vermont State Police on March 25th. 2004, and they gave the troopers some photos and all this. And just by happenstance, right, there's a trooper there. I don't know if it's the exact trooper who towed the car or whatever, but they end up connecting Brianna's Oldsmobile to the old Dutchburn accident, right? And now it's the 25th, and this kid had disappeared on the 19th, March 19th, and now it's the 25th. All that time lost because A, the kid had a transient lifestyle, and B, the Vermont State Police didn't want to investigate any further on an abandoned junk box, really. So it gets worse with the Vermont State Police. They don't really believe that Brianna has been abducted or has been in an accident or any foul play at all. They believe Brianna has run away. But she's going to leave her migraine headache medication in the car. It looks like there's a struggle. There's a piece of clothing that doesn't belong to the kid. There's change all around. She's got two paychecks. The kid's dead broke. Where is she going to run away to? The only money she had was the money in those paychecks. Big mistake by Vermont State Police right there. And Bruce Maitland, for his part, starts to lose it because he can see that they're not super interested in investigating this the way it needs to be investigated. But try telling that to a cop as a civilian father. They just put up this wall, and I think this is what happened. They wanted to believe that Brianna was a runaway so they wouldn't have to face the consequences of that shitty investigation 
that they conducted when Brianna's car was found. So it has been said that Kelly Maitland, when she saw the photographs of Brianna's car, was instantly revulsed and almost sick to her stomach over because she knew something was so drastically wrong. And all that time has elapsed, and now the Vermont State Police won't get off their ass. They're trying to tell them about Brianna's character and that she wouldn't do this. She needs to work. She needs that money. Where did she run off to? The Bahamas? The kid was a work and stiff paycheck to paycheck. And it looks like there was a crime scene at her vehicle. And you guys effed it all up. So word gets out that Brianna's car was found at the old Dutch burn house in Richford there. And witnesses end up coming forward. I don't know what type of investigation the Vermont State Police did right after this, but a man who drove by the house between 11.30 and 12.30 during the early morning hours of March 19th until the 20th said he saw car headlights on in the old Dutch burn house. And again, it's far back. You wouldn't really notice it from the road, but this guy did. He said he didn't see anybody else around the house or the car. So that's just after Brianna Maitland left the inn that she worked at. A second guy who drove by just between midnight and 1230 on the early morning hours of Saturday said he saw what he thought was a turn signal on and it never went off. Also, somebody, a former boyfriend actually of Brianna Maitland's drove past the scene he was actually coming back from Canada with a drinking age is 18. So he went up partying up there and he thought he recognized the vehicle and the lights were on, but he didn't see anybody near it and he didn't really think anything more of it. There was another incident of people being concerned with this vehicle. I'm surprised nobody called the police. But the next morning, I think when the sun came up that Saturday, some motorists were coming back. And they found it odd that the vehicle was there. I think these guys were going out for a bike ride. They had some sporting reason to be there. I forget what it was. I don't know if it was skiing or something like that. But they actually pulled into the old Dutch burn house there and took pictures of the vehicle. And these would be used later as crime scene photos, basically. They saw some loose change on the ground, a water bottle, some clothing, and to them, it looked like a crime scene, but they're just civilians. What do they know, right? And then they take those pictures and go about their business. Vermont State Police would get a hold of those photographs later, but can you believe that? Those guys skiing or biking at the old Dutch burn house did more police work without knowing it than the Vermont State Police did. Brianna's vehicle had been towed for safekeeping, and that was a good thing. The vehicle was searched on March 30th, so don't forget that this girl went missing on the late night, early mornings of the 19th into the 20th. So, man, that's just a lot of time. But they do a forensic evidence search of the vehicle. One of the problems that hampers this end of the investigation was the unkempt nature of Brianna Maitland's car. It was always a disaster, you know, fast food wrappers, clothes, she kind of lived out of the vehicle because she was so transient, if you remember, right? So it's hard to say what should be in there, what's Brianna's and what isn't. But some of the things that were still in the vehicle that gave Bruce Maitland pause were 
the ATM card, her glasses, contact lenses, migraine medication, I had mentioned that before, and those two checks, which was the only money she had. And at this point, Bruce Maitland is kind of battling with the Vermont State Police to take this disappearance seriously, and they do. And a few years later, I think they apologize to Bruce Maitland for this, but so much time was lost here, guys. So as you can imagine, the Maitlands are just losing their S over what's going on. I mean, I can't imagine the panic, right? Your 17-year-old daughter's car is found. It looks like a crime scene. She's nowhere around. She hasn't called anybody, hasn't reported to work, is missing. Like, poof, into the ether missing, right? What do you do as a parent? I can't imagine the stress. Man, it's horrible. It has to be that horrible feeling, you know, and I don't want to compare. I lost my kid one time at Disney World, right? In that stock panic that comes over you. And this was just a few minutes and my daughter was just a little ways away. Everything ended up fine. She was seven or eight years old at the time, but man, that panic. It turns you into a monster. You'll do anything to get that kid back, and I would have. I can't imagine, and I'm not really relating to this case or any other case where a kid was really missing. Don't get me wrong, but I'm trying to give you that sense of panic here. I can't imagine what the Maitlands were going through. So there was a pretty big and interesting development about a week after Brianna's disappearance, and it's kind of a strange thing. I believe both the police and Bruce Maitland received this tip almost simultaneously. Bruce, I don't know if he's home or wherever he is, but he gets a call from someone and they state that Brianna's being held in nearby Berkshire, Vermont, another small town right in the same area. And she's being held by two drug dealers over a drug debt, something like that. And they tell Bruce Maitland this directly. And Bruce calls the police and says, I'm on the way over there, so you better go do something. It was that big of a deal. And I think the police did. They ended up raiding the house because I think Bruce was going to go over there with a shotgun, quite frankly. I don't want to put any criminal implications on it, but you know how it goes. And the police did do the right thing. They went over there. They did arrest two drug dealers, and I think one of them was ultimately charged for having some relatively significant amount of crack cocaine and marijuana. Brianna was not present. These two drug dealers did know Brianna. They knew her pretty well. I guess you could say they were friends. They claimed to have not seen her in more than a week. But let me tell you about these two guys. To be honest with you, they seem to be the only suspects really ever identified by the Vermont State Police I don't know if they were named as persons of interest or suspects, but it seems like these two are the only two that they were really looking at. And these two guys were named Ramon Ryans and Charles Jackson. And I believe they had been arrested for drug-related offenses previously. They came to Vermont, the Montgomery area specifically, from New York City. They were said to be gang members in the city, and they played that up for all it was worth. Sometimes criminals come from the city and they try to overwhelm a small town. And these kids, they were in their 20s, somewhere in their 20s, right? 
They were playing it up like they were in a rap video, drug dealers. They didn't try to hide anything. Everybody knew what was going on with that crew. But they were friends with Brianna. There was no indication that Brianna had been at the house. I don't know if they had an opportunity to forensically examine the house or not. But they did make that arrest and they started putting some heat on these guys. And I think at a certain point, it started to gain some traction here. Ramon Ryans was renting the place. So I think he ended up being charged with the drugs. And like I said, it was a relatively significant amount of crack cocaine and marijuana. Enough to say that they're selling it rather than personal users. So I don't know if this criminal case ever held together. Because I know raiding this house happened within an hour or less because Brianna's dad was on the way over there and he was going to do it himself, right? So did they have a warrant for drugs? Did they find all this in plain sight once they entered the house? I know there's exigent circumstances. They could have entered that to save somebody's life. And if you see the drugs on the table, in the bedroom, wherever in plain sight, that's a good charge. So kind of a good pinch for the Vermont State Police. The other kid, Nathaniel Charles Jackson, I don't think he was charged as a result of that raid. So in this same vein of the drug dealer's abduction theory, later in 2004, police received a signed affidavit from a woman they described only as, in quotations, an older woman. And this older female implicated both Jackson and Ryan in this disappearance and murder. This woman, who was familiar with Jackson and Ryan, I believe she resided in Burlington. And I think she has some mental health issues. But the police said this affidavit and the description was very graphic and had some details that really caught their eye. In this affidavit, this woman said that Brianna had lent these two money to purchase crack cocaine. So it seems like Brianna was willing to give up some money. Give me $1,000. I'll go buy the cocaine, make the crack. I'll give you $1,500 back. Those numbers are pure speculation, but that's how it usually goes. And now Brianna, after this is all completed, is looking for her money back, plus a little profit, obviously. And they basically tell her to go pound sand. And that is what the abduction was about, according to the person who produces affidavit. So the story goes, Brianna is ultimately murdered. But Ryan's and Jackson did take her from the old Dutch burn farm and brought her to a house that was kind of vacant because the owner of this house was recently incarcerated and there was nobody there. And I believe Jackson and Ryan's were kind of using this as a headquarters. They kept her alive for five days, according to this woman, ultimately killed her, dismembered her, and threw her remains into a pig farm, I guess a pig pen. And I know that it was a specific farm that the woman said, and the police did search it, and I don't think they found anything pertaining to Brianna. But... If you're throwing a dismembered body into a pig pen, they're going to eat it, bones included, right? So I don't know if this woman is crazy or if she was being a legitimate witness here. And it was also said that Ramon Ryans had 
talked to the police about this case and had formalized the deal to provide information. And he was working, I guess, at that point as an informant. But the Vermont State Police have never really clarified that. And he did seem to be working as an informant in this case because of that drug arrest at the Berkshire, Vermont raid where they were looking for Brianna. But as the case progressed through the courts, Ramon Ryans got basically a time-served type sentence, and that would indicate that he had cooperated with the police, but obviously no arrests in this case were forthcoming from whatever Ramon Ryans had provided. The police seem to indicate in this case that the group of Brianna's friends that were also friends with Ryans in that crew know more than people are saying. They say people know what happened to Brianna. It's commonly talked about. And I think I have to go back to the fight that Brianna was in a couple weeks before she disappeared. I saw this woman interviewed on another podcast. I'm, I'm sorry, I forget which one it was. And I didn't see it. I heard it. But I think it was a video podcast as well. And she stated, yeah, she had that fight. She wholeheartedly regrets it. And I believe the police have removed her in that incident from the suspect pool, if you will. I think they moved on from Keeley. She's not a murderer. I mean, come on, will you? She's going to take that girl from her car, man. But I think that at least narrows the pool. And the best candidates, the only candidates for suspects are Ryan's and Jackson in this case. And I think they've left Vermont at this point. In 2006, some video surfaced at one of the poker tournaments. I don't know if it was the World Series of Poker held in Atlantic City. But at one of the big hotels, for some reason, somebody thought they recognized Brianna at the table. And they got the security footage and all that. At one point, the Maitlands were confident that it was, in fact, Brianna. But I think that's kind of waned now. I think that it was just false hope. And that's kind of fallen by the wayside. There's two other things to be aware about in this case, at least two others, probably several more. In 2012, the Vermont State Police started to investigate this case to see if it had any connection with serial killer Israel Keys. He was the guy, I don't know if you remember this case or know about this case, he went around the country, he'd pre-plan where he'd drop murder kits and he'd bury them. Then he'd go kill these complete strangers. He was just a maniacal serial killer and he had been through Vermont at one time. I think the FBI and the Vermont State Police have now ruled him out as a suspect because he would have had to be in a different place, I believe. And the other one I wanted to mention was just prior to this, I believe it was about 30 days and about 90 miles away, a Massachusetts woman by the name of Mara Murray disappeared in the woods of New Hampshire. Similar circumstances, car accident, minor car accident, and then boom, into the ether. So they're trying to put these two together. I don't know if they ever did. I don't know how seriously they take that theory but that's been put out there as well. And I believe it was also later in 2006, after the Atlantic City sighting, that the Vermont State Police finally admitted that they had DNA. 
And I hadn't heard anything much on this case. I knew they had that DNA, but they had just moved this up in 2020. They're getting the DNA analyzed by a Houston company that's doing amazing things with DNA. And I don't know if it's the sweatshirt. There was a female's fleece jacket or sweatshirt that was not Brianna's that was found at the crime scene or in her car. So they're hoping to tie that back, obviously, to a person. I think they're having some difficulty because I haven't heard anything in the news. So I know the Vermont State Police are working with that company called Authram DNA, and it's in Houston, and they're doing miraculous things. And I believe the case has gotten some new investigators and all that. But I don't know what the process is. Now it's 2022, and I know COVID shut down a lot of our world. But man, that would be great to have a DNA hit on that. I think when that happens, the cops are going to break out the handcuffs and people are going to start to talk. I think this case will be solved, and it won't be long now, I don't think. But listen, we got to wrap it up here. I told you this was a whodunit. It's a real whodunit. If you have any information, call the Vermont State Police tip line at 802-241-5355, and you can remain anonymous. I pray that the Maitland family gets some closure in this case, and I hope whoever has done this dastardly deed gets brought to justice. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. On to the next one. See you on the flip side. <laughs>